I think there's an enormous chance for growth in this business. I think it's going to look a lot different in the long run than it does today. I think it, it, that some people have to enter it and be able to get get some amount of scale to where they can have brands that are known and it can kind of drive the overall business. And then people who are doing it on smaller scale can kind of fill in beneath that. But if you look at successful successful like categories of artisan products, they really all have that kind of structure where some people had to grow and it's a necessary evil in some ways for there to be these knowns that creates the room for the unknowns. This is real food, handmade by people who love what they do. This is cheese by hand. Today on Cheese by Hand, we introduce you to Kurt Dammeyer owner of Beecher's Handmade Cheese, which is located in the historic Pike Place Market in Seattle, Washington. I got into this business exactly backwards from practically everybody else, and that the first thing that I did was sign a lease on the space that I was going to sell the cheese and make it before I even knew how to make it or who was going to make it or where I was going to get the milk or even what the name was. The very first thing was the space. And... uh, Partly because my my whole take on it was this mission of educating people. And so I knew that 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 space there in Pike Place Market gave me an audience. And all I needed to do was put an engaging show in front of that audience and I'd be able to accomplish my mission. So in some ways, the cheese making for me is a tactic rather than a goal. The goal, the, the mission for my little food operation here is to change the way America eats. And we realize, of course, that we aren't the only ones doing that. In fact, kind of our, our little way we describe it is we want to be one, one or two drops in the waterfall of change in the way people eat. And so everything that we do is really put through the filter of are we educating people on um, learning about food purity and food provenance. So the, the cheesemaking operation Making cheese in front of 9 million people who walk by gives us a real soapbox to get people thinking about the provenance of all of their food. Of course, cheese making is really easy to understand, especially once you see it. And then you can have the conversation of where does the milk come from and where are the cows. And since that's so simple, we hope that that that, uh, engenders more conversation about how all the rest of their food gets to them and how the thing, how the food gets in the boxes. Kurt speaks differently than many of the other cheesemakers we interviewed. He sounds like he's all about business, talking about industry structures, brands, company missions. And this industry is different for Kurt than it is for someone who became a cheesemaker, let's say when they went back to the land, got a farm, and started producing their own food. And it's kind of funny that they sound so different. Because really, Kurt is interested in many of the same principles as back-to-landers or even multi-generational food producers. At this point in time, Kurt sees this big problem in the food industry and in our culture. People don't understand where their food comes from. So he set out to alter that with cheese. 
and the way that he determined the types of cheese Beecher's would produce was with an eye on the success of the business, but also with a mindfulness about the larger industry. Here's Kurt. We started with cow because we felt that that was uh, more difficult, and we knew that we would be able to get a, to a kind of a scale that um, would allow us to afford to be doing cows, whereas the typical kind of really small-scale cheesemakers usually working with sheep or goats because they're easier to manage, easier to, to, you, to get. Uh, and so we felt like we wanted to kind of leave that field open for others and that, that what we needed in our local area was good cow's milk cheese. The, the products that we decided on were, uh, A, things that the cheesemaker we ended up hiring we thought he could make and already kind of had an idea of how to make. And then what we thought was more interesting, what, just kind of what I liked. I had uh, just been on a trip, and I had kind of fallen in love with the idea of fromage blanc and mixing in your own flavorings. And so we decided to make a fromage blanc. Plus, we, we, our, our, we knew right from the start that our core um, signature cheese would be this flagship cheese, which was... Uh, which is, of course, a one-year-aged cheese. So we knew that for a year we'd have to make cheese and wouldn't be able to sell it. And we didn't want to be the Monty Python cheese shop where, you know, sorry, cheese shop, but no cheese. And so we developed a few cheeses that we thought we could sell pretty pretty quickly that were fresh. And we started selling curds and fromage blanc because they're really fresh. And then we developed a jack cheese because you can sell that after after 60 days. And so because we didn't get to sell our main cheese for a whole year. But it was a little bit of a gut check because we started making cheese in a in a ten thousand pound cheese vat right from the get go, a one year aged cheese, and so we made it for a whole year. We had eighty thousand pounds of it before we had sold one piece, and uh, it was a real uh, good feeling when it when people liked it and it won awards the first time out. It's kind of hard to say how much of the Beecher's success story was the result of careful thinking about the product line and how much of it was good luck that people fell head over heels for their signature year-old cheese called Flagship. Ultimately, I think it was both. And I would give more credit to the planning phase than the good luck phase because food production is a challenging business. It isn't enough to make a product that tastes good. We asked Kurt how accessible or how easy he thought it was to get into the cheese production business. I think it's pretty tough to do it in a sustainable, economically sustainable way. It either has to, you have to be really small scale and have 20 or 30 goats or 15 cows and sell all your production at a, at a farmer's market. Or I think you have to get to what for artisans is pretty big scale. And, uh, and you have to have enough capital to get that done. There's just an enormous, cheese making is an enormous capital suck. Because number one, if you're doing anything aged, you have to let the product sit around for a whole year. And uh, you don't have the enormous margins of winemakers. You know, a winemaker has a giant margin on their product. And their whole deal is can they sell it? It's not so much can they afford to hold it. Uh, our idea, our problem is can you afford to hold it? The, on top of that, that you have to work 
year-round, there's far more labor. I mean, you have to keep going. Cows never, you know, it's like rust never sleeps. And uh, cheesemakers don't really take vacation. So you have the, the labor the labor bill, labor meter keeps going and, and the milk meter keeps going. And so it's a tough business. So it is a tough business. But Kurt and his team at Beecher's figured it out, as have many other cheese producers. I kind of wondered how he had come to this conclusion about the various models for cheese making. It sounded as if, although he started backwards by renting his space first, he had done a decent amount of research before building out his facility and creating his products. And I was curious if he had found any decent support from government agencies like the Department of Agriculture or even other cheese producers. In a word, no. Absolutely not. There was nobody that gave us any help. In fact, the, the few organizations that you'd think to go to for help really poo-pooed the idea and uh, made me... In some ways, it was kind of like the uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. What, if, in this case, what didn't kill my idea, kill my enthusiasm, made me more passionate about doing it. For instance, Washington State University, when I went to see them and said, you know, I wanna, I'm thinking about this cheese-making operation, they just said, oh, that's a horrible idea. You know, it, it'll never, it'll never work. Now, uh... No, they weren't doing it in any mean-spirited way. They were really just trying to teach me about the reality of the dairy business and, and cheese-making, which is a commodity business for the most part. And they didn't really understand that there was this burgeoning kind of artisan movement that, that could be supportive of smaller-scale cheese-makers. That bit in there about someone telling him that his idea wasn't possible, or at the very least it wasn't good, making him more inspired and more committed to the idea than ever before, that's very curt. Not because he's some kind of entrepreneurial masochist, but because he enjoys a hearty challenge and he has confidence in his ability to see opportunities. But even with this enthusiasm and all of his skills, once his business was up and running, he still found himself subject to the exact same challenges that all other cheesemakers face. High cost of milk, high cost of stainless steel, high cost of labor. He touched on these expenses when we talked to him, but then he took a turn. A turn that no cheesemaker we'd spoken with had taken, and the conversation got very interesting. When you don't own your own farm, the highest cost is milk. Uh, the uh, but really the highest cost is uh, distribution and retail margin. Retail margin. Well, so for instance, our uh, our flagship cheese, one year aged, made from premium local milk, no RBST, by talented cheesemakers in small vats. We get a little a little bit more than five dollars a pound for it when we sell it, but by the time it goes to a distributor and then to a grocery store, it's sixteen to eighteen dollars a pound. One of the real issues for me, and I think for the cheese business to kind of try to work through, is the 
competition with commodity cheeses in the grocery store the 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 grocery section the center of the store carries with it 25 to 30% margins and the deli section the exterior of the store where our cheeses are sold and so for instance the commodity cheeses are sold in the grocery section with a 25% margin and our cheeses are sold in the deli section with a 50 to 60 and sometimes even 70% margin and so uh our $16 a pound cheese, eight or nine dollars of it is going to the grocery store. Tillamook's uh, $6 a pound cheese, only two dollars of it is a dollar fifty of it is going to the grocery store, and that's a structural problem that makes artisan cheese seem far more expensive than it is. Whereas in the beer business, when you go down that the beer aisle and you look at craft beer versus Budweiser. It's all being sold by the same section of the grocery store with the same margin expectations. And so it's really much more of an apples-to-apples pricing comparison. It's the same markup. It's a fair play. It's a level playing field. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you had the same thing going on there, you would see Budweiser selling for $3.99 a six-pack and um, uh, Pyramid Hefeweizen selling for $12.99 a six-pack because it would have double the margin on it. Do you think, though, that having the cheeses sort of segregated like that into commodity and artisan also works for you, even though your cheeses, you know? I actually think it's the op- uh, Personally, I think cheese is cheese. Uh, and uh, that cheeses ought to all be displayed together as a continuum with essentially the same kinds of margins, albeit adjusted for spoilage for the grocer. If, if the cheese is a really high volatility cheese and it's going to go bad, they ought to charge more. Yeah, I just have, it's like the chicken or the egg thing, because I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm kind of trained to, like, go to the nicer cheese case, because that's where the cheeses that I want are, or the non-commodity cheeses. Like, that's where I go if I know I want cheese that I'm just going to eat. But I think you ought to... if it was all together, you just wouldn't have that training. If it was all together and all had the same margin, I think we would be much more likely to use uh, more of our better cheeses in our everyday cooking as well, and that it would be cheaper as a as a whole. That last bit, that's the goal. More people buying specialty cheese. Of course, part of his goal in this situation is to sell more of his cheese. That would be beneficial to his business. But it would also support his mission that people would eat foods from producers they know. And if the pricing system he describes worked, then it's possible that smaller production, regional cheeses, could be available to broader groups of shoppers. Now granted, the cheeses Kurt is talking about would have to be products of the cheese-making model where you grow to a size that's considered kind of large by any artisan standards. But he still makes an interesting point about the potential for pricing bias in stores. Clearly Kurt has thought about this issue a bit, and this made me want to know if people ever asked him about the price of his cheese, as in... Why is this cheese so expensive? Well, certainly, especially in the beginning, I had uh, all my friends would say, God, I love your cheese, but boy, that's expensive. And I think even over the last two years, at least in, in the Seattle area, people are starting to appreciate that it's worth the money to spend more for better cheese, just like they learned how to spend more money for better coffee and more money for better bread. And uh, so uh, 
it is it is certainly changing. That said, I, I really I really try to steer the conversation toward what is it worth rather than what does it cost. Because at the end of the day, no one on the other end really cares if I'm making or losing money making the cheese. And as I fear, of course, that aggregately artisan cheesemakers are losing money making cheese and no one cares. The consumers don't care. The consumers only care, is this worth what I'm paying for? Does it seem like a value? And I always steer the conversation toward other artisan products and what they pay for them versus what you pay for cheese. And if you get people away from the uh, $6 two-pound Tillamook loaf mentality, then they start to understand that cheese is actually a really affordable luxury rather than really expensive. But it's the same thing why no one drinks, uh, no one in Seattle anyway, drinks the green Folgers can anymore. They all drink Starbucks, and they're all willing to pay all, all this extra money for great coffee. And even Starbucks is kind of middle of the road now. You can buy, spend a lot more money than that for a lot of other coffees. And it's the same thing. People just haven't, got, haven't, had, that, haven't had enough reps on, on analyzing that transaction yet. I have to say, I really like the idea of not arguing with people about the money. Because when it comes down to it, most people will pay kind of a lot of money for the things that they value, whether that is a comprehensive cable package or a wedge of handmade cheese. And it reminds me of one of the stories Michael Pollan tells in The Omnivore's Dilemma about the well-known farmer Joel Salatin, who, in this particular anecdote, decides not to necessarily defend the price of the eggs he sells on his farm when one of his customers balks at it a bit. Instead... He walks outside with the customer, points to the guy's luxury car, and argues that the customer understands the concept of paying for quality where it matters to him. And this is a very different kind of conversation to have with someone, one that might lead that person to an aha moment. Kurt is optimistic not only about the possibilities for development in the industry, but also about the sea change happening in his own backyard. In our area, it's changed enormously. And one of the reasons I thought this would be a, a good thing to do and, and, and a successful thing is that Seattle didn't have any tradition of artisan cheesemaking at all. There was only a few cheesemakers, and most everything locally was all commodities. So it's, it was very different than, like, Vermont. And uh, in a very short period of time, we've only been open two and a half years, the, the awareness of cheese and and American cheese in Seattle has uh, it's got to have quadrupled. I mean, it's just a, a giant shift in awareness. I'd like to think that we're part of the reason for that. We certainly don't take all the credit, but certainly I think part of it is us. We've gotten a reasonable amount of publicity in the Seattle area, and our store, of course, is front and center in the most famous landmark in Seattle. Beecher's was a tremendous success from the get-go, and this was surprising even to Kurt. Well, I wasn't expecting us to do as well as quickly. I wasn't expecting to be on the board of directors of the Cheese Society one and a half years into being in the business, or, you know, the national press we've gotten and all that. I, I wasn't expecting it to be that, that successful. I, took, I, I thought it would be a lot slower ramp. I, I thought we could get to where we we're going to get, 
but I thought it would take a lot longer. Yeah. No, I'm a grizzled veteran now. I mean, two and a half years into it, I'm just like, you know, let's talk to a guy who really knows about the cheese business. And it's me. (laughs) 